Hey everyone, this is Tina Spangler with TLC Barrels and welcome to my podcast. Uh, this is Q&A number 74 and it's January 11th of 2022 and this is made for my Q&A um, Q for my Facebook virtual group. Um, so I wanted to uh, welcome Lisa from Florida to the group. Had her um, sign up this week for three months and um, she's working on some stuff with her horse and we're doing some video reviews to help her uh, improve as well. Um, and then congratulations to Martine, who was the winner of the personal best drawing for December. And um, she took a TLC keychain, so in her favorite color, teal. Um, also, just a little bit of update um, on the podcast. I did a part two, about 20 minute long of... Um, the equine body language topic, I wanted to get more into the behavior in the saddle um, because a lot of that stuff, and I won't go into it today. I want to cover some other stuff today, but um, go ahead and listen to that because there's a lot of stuff I talked about in the first part on the ground behavior and such, but this one I wanted to go a little bit deeper on things in the saddle like bucking or rearing or herd sour, um, possibly a horse that runs off or alley sour um, you know, maybe why they can't flex properly or collect properly or don't stop, etc. I wanted to talk about the relationship from the ground into the saddle, um, all of that stuff, and, and basically how overpressuring or overexposing, um, how a horse will try to whisper to you or talk to you, but when you don't listen, they're going to start yelling and screaming, and that's when these really bad behaviors come out because they're frustrated and they're tired of you not listening. So if anything, just always, if you get anything out of my podcast, just remember to always always put your horse first and listen to them. So um, the best thing you can do, the number one thing you can do is, you know, go back to basics, rule out pain, slow things down. Um, you know, if you have to start back on the ground, all of that, you know, evaluate your own riding if it's you versus them and, and get help if you need help. So Anyways, um, I did want to mention that. I'm going to go ahead and um, go into the Q&As. I have a few questions, and then I'll get into the topic. Um, let's see here. I did about 14 videos. Some I shared in the group. Some I just sent privately, um, but of writers that have sent them in so far. And, um, you know, some of you had a really great weekend and met your goals, and others had some challenges, and whether, you know, whether you're having a personal best, or if you're, um, you know, having to work on things, <clears throat> we're always either winning or learning. So congratulations to those who did win. And for those of you that had a rough weekend, <clears throat> don't give up, just go back to training and, and, uh, fixing things and things will get better. So in the group, um, I shared, uh, some Tuesday last week, I shared, uh, cookie stretches and leg stretches and the value of those on the ground for your horse. Um, the figure eights was the challenge um, this week. The challenge is the D pattern for the uh, skill and for the mindset. It's about being positive and practicing waking every day with a positive, confident attitude. And you have to practice that. Practice perfect, slow, and practice being positive and confident. Um, a, a positive mindset goes a long way. So 
Um, this week, uh, I'll be sharing videos for third barrel. Last week was second barrel. Um, this uh, last week, there was a couple of different drills that I put in there. Um, this week, I'll probably be sharing the squares. I think um, how, the value of doing squares, whether it be a square in your arena or pasture or a square around the barrel and the values of that. Um, and last week was about second barrel and I think spirals, I'm trying to remember. But make sure you take a look at those videos. Um, this week, today, I shared a couple video tips on meat and potatoes, um, the value of putting weight in your outside stirrup and looking and riding between your horse's ears to the outside tracks and riding their hip to the backside. So many people let their horses turn the barrel at their shoulder and they don't ride that hip to the backside and that really um, messes you up for keeping four-wheel drive, for getting to all your spots and allowing your horse to keep moving with their maximum collected stride around the barrel. Um, so so anyways, um, those are videos you can take a look at as well. Um, so pay attention because I'm always going to do a video tip on Tuesday for probably something on the ground, Wednesday for something like dry work or drills, and then Thursday for something on barrels or poles uh, as far as tune-ups go. So pay attention to that and send your videos whenever you want for, um, for me to review training or competition. And um, you can just put your cell phone on a little block of wood with a couple nails banged into it. It works perfect. Set it on a fence post or set it on a barrel and, you know, one minute, two minute clips, send it over to me. That's what I do when I make videos for you guys. It works great. My son did get me a Pivo for Christmas. I'm going to be trying that out soon and see how well that works for following me um, and such. And then let's see what else. Um, I, I was hoping that would make for nicer videos for everybody. So, but one of the first questions that came in is um, when a good horse starts behaving badly. And a couple of you had that happen in the group. And thank God you listened to your horses because it ended up being a pain issue. One of them, it was a tendon starting to tear. Actually, there was two of those. Um, and it could be, you know, alley issue. It could be not finishing a turn. It could be acting hyper or maybe hitting a barrel. So if all of a sudden your good horse um, starts acting badly, don't always get mad at them or think, you know, it's it's a issue that needs to be a tune-up because sometimes it can be something happening to them physically. So you cannot train pain. So always rule that out first. Um, sometimes it's something scary like a new arena, especially if you're on a novice horse and you're putting them in a new environment like a covered arena or barrels on a solid wall or you know, whatever. Um, but really try to evaluate what would cause that and always rule out pain and exposure first. And then you can go back to tuning up after that. Um, the next question was about how do I use my balance rein without over pulling on it? Um, so Sherry Servey is probably one of the best I ever saw do that. And at the NFR on her little bay horse, I think his name was Hawk. And um, she would run to that second barrel and, and just to get by it, she would do the quickest little pinky bump of the outside rein, but she, she would literally bump it and release it right about when his nose was almost to second barrel. And that was just enough to get his shoulder past second barrel and let him not start to turn to her leg got to the barrel. But unfortunately, a lot of people, what they do is they don't have 
those kind of reflexes or timing or feel and they pull and when you pull on that outside rein that's just going to make the situation worse because it a drops the horse's shoulder into the barrel worse pulls the nose to the outside and then slows them down from forward forward motion so it is quite a skill to learn how to use a balance rein with give and take pressure and um, balance rein is very important for keeping a horse square but you have to remember not to ever have more pressure on the outside rein than you do on the inside rein um, so uh, it is something that is an acquired uh, skill but if you work at it very slow in your slow work maybe on some drills like uh you know, doing the four barrel squares or maybe inline barrels or D pattern, any of that where you have to ride two hands until your leg gets the barrel and then go to the horn. It can teach you to have more finesse with your balance rein. Um, and you can also use more leg um, as well. Sometimes people use two hands, but a little bit more inside leg as they look and ride sitting square in the middle through their horse's ears riding towards the fence line especially on that second barrel um, when a horse gets scotchy especially on an indoor arena or a, a, a barrel that's on the fence line so um, I hope that answers that question um, let's see here once um, let's see once the horse knows the barrel pattern do they ever need to see the pattern again do you think that's bad for them and they'll get burnt out you know, that's a really great question, and it really comes down to knowing your horse. Some horses get bored and are really smart, and they need variety. They need to go work cows or trail ride or work out in the pasture instead of the arena. But that's why I love drills. So I think a mixture is good. Anybody in the group knows I recommend a different schedule, like maybe one day's trail ride, one day's groundwork, one day's drills and dry work, one day's walking or jogging the barrels. You know, for me with my open horses, they only got rode maybe 30 minutes, three days a week during the week if I was competing on the weekend. And I would take them out in the cow pasture and just relax on a loose rein walk and maybe do a little bend and flex out there. Then I do some long trotting for conditioning and wind. And then um, I might lope a little bit um, and then, you know, walk back to the barn. And as I was coming back in, I'd stop in the arena and I'd walk through the pattern once. I never went faster than a walk or a trot and I never went through the pattern more than once a week, once or twice. And it was just enough to remind them before the weekend, this is where I want you these are your spots and this is how I want your body positioned especially if I had one that liked to maybe get low on the front end or or maybe um you know get a needed rate on first or needed to ride a little bit deeper on second or third I just walk it and remind them hey this is where we need to be and it built the teamwork but some horses don't need to ever see the barrels but I do think dry work or drills once a week is really important so maybe you do trail ride one day maybe you go work cows one day maybe just condition in the pasture but the teamwork is really built up by drills and it can be drills like squares or spirals or D pattern or inline barrels, figure eights. It can be a lot of that stuff that works on that go cue, that rate cue, that collection, that shape, that softening, that perfect circle. Because of barrel racing, we want, and poles, we want really straight lines, and then we want really soft round turns. Um, it, it's just better to keep a nice, perfect circle around a barrel instead of V-ing it or uh, any of that. But but you have to, again, base it on your horse. Is your horse a free runner? Is your horse anticipate um, all of those things and then base it upon that? 
So, but that's a wonderful question. And again, every horse is an individual and you have to kind of mix it up. And um, speaking of drills, the next question was um, about, you know, when a horse is doing something wrong on the pattern. I personally hate to see people pick on a horse on the pattern because if you start pressuring a horse in a turn, like get your shoulder in or fram on them for not turning a barrel or any of that, that's going to be the last memory that they have about the barrels is that they got in trouble at the barrel. And then they're going to tense up and probably get worse because they're expecting that bad stuff to happen again. So me, I'd rather change it up and keep their focus on me. So I will do drills that maybe get them focusing on collection or rate or bend or flex um, or fluidity, or I will work on it to take some anticipation out by changing up the drill. I might do serpentines or funnel barrels or just anything, rock and roll barrels, um, horseshoe, uh, windmill, I will, the cross, I will mix it up to where that horse is so focused on me, they're not thinking about the barrel pattern. And it's not where they're dreading it or fearful of the pattern because I've seen horses get blown up by barrel racers that maybe a horse was going up the fence and they got whooped on for that. Um, Or a horse that ducked pattern and they got beat on for that. Or a horse that hit barrels and got, you know, yanked and jerked and spurred and, and whooped around the barrel several times. I've seen trainers that pick, 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 you know, go around the barrel 10, 15 times, you know, just really overdoing it, overcorrecting, overcorrecting, you know, and just things like that. And to me, I want my horses to see a barrel and relax going in and have fun running out. I want a horse that's calm. A horse that's going to be relaxed is going to be a thinking horse. A horse that's scared or stressed is not, they're going to be in their flight mode and they're not going to work as good as a horse that's relaxed and thinking and in the thinking side of their brain. So I hope that answers that question. Um, So let's see here. Next question I have here. Um, I'm let's see. I'm going to compete again. My last run. Um, okay, okay. Oh, oh, I see that they were asking me. That's right. This question I forgot it was a week ago. Um, they were asking me if I was going to ever compete again. Um, and let me tell you this first of all. Um, I the last run I made was in January of 2020. Um, it was at Palatka. I clocked in the 2D at a little jackpot and got some money. Um, it was fun, but it still hurt. It still hurt that bad hip of mine. Um, and then of course in June I had a client's horse in training, uh, buck and bolt and do some stupid things and really tore up my left hip even worse. So, so. Um, you know, obviously I need to get surgery eventually and I am saving money for that, but I also have to look at time, you know, who can help me take care of the horses and dogs and take time off from work a couple weeks to heal after the surgery, plus the time it's going to take to get strong enough to, to do all that again, to ride and, and such. So all that stuff's in my mind, but, but you have to remember, um, for me, my whole life has been a competition, you know, my entire adult life has been a competition for my job as a trainer. That's competitive because when you're an entrepreneur, anybody with their own business knows that it's nonstop. You know, you not only have to do a great job with the client you're working with, but you're always having to work to get your next client. Um, And so it's competitive. You're constantly working for that next client and to keep yourself growing and moving and all of that. And so then on my free time, 
I would barrel race and that's competitive. Um, I didn't do it just for fun. I did it to be the best I could be. You know, I, I had a goal of 1D and 2D on my horses. Um, so, so of course that's competitive. Um, you know, that's the other thing to consider. The, um, the thing for me is I want, I want horses to be fun. When I go to the barn, I want my energy to be positive and fun. When I go out there with too big of an agenda and a goal, you know, I can find myself, you know, not loving on my horses, not enjoying it. And I spent over 20 years, probably 24 years, maybe longer, probably, yeah, probably 24 or so years of straight, uh, running TLC and competing. And, um, it just got to where I was kind of getting burnt out. Um, so my main focus now is my business and helping others. Um, my business is what keeps my horses and dogs and me fed and cared for. Um, my uh, desire to help others uh, have a better relationship with their horse is my main focus. So so as far as competing, I don't really miss it enough that um, it's a big priority for me. You know, sometimes I miss it, like if I see a video or if I watch others doing it, I miss it. But I also know that I won't enjoy it as much if I'm just doing it, um, you know, to be 4D out there or something. And, you know, all my old mares are retired and Briscoe's not as sound as she used to be. And I'd be scared if I hurt her, you know, um, I just would never forgive myself. So I wouldn't want to go out there and push her so hard that she could tear her hurt something worse. Um, so all those things go through your mind, but it's just like, you know, having kids when they grow up and leave, you miss them, but you also, you remember all the great stuff. You forget about all the day-to-day -day hard parts, you know? Um, and that's the thing about barrel racing. There's a lot of hard parts about barrel racing, you know, keeping your horse sound, um, riding in the cold and the wind, competing in lightning and weather and you know it just it's um and you know just of the pressure you put on yourself to do well and etc so so I guess I kind of like having a little bit of peace and just actually enjoying my farm my horses uh are enjoying retirement I'm bringing Rocky around slowly on which my hip can handle and I'm just really um just for once in my life enjoying my horses just for being my horses and not for competitive goals every year. So, so to answer that question, I don't really know. Um, when it's set in my heart to do it, I'm not saying I won't again, but right now at this point in my life, it's not a huge goal for me. Um, I sometimes think, okay, get fit, get back at it, you know, but it's, it's a lot of, um, a lot to, to run a business that is barrel racing business and compete full time too. That's why you don't normally see competitors who compete hard be able to run a training barn as well, at least not to run it well, um, because they're gone all the time. They're competing all the time. So they're not going to be able to focus on those training horses as, and do as good of a job as the trainer that's home and training. It's the same with a coach. A coach can't be there for you all the time if they're, you know, busy with their own stuff. So for me to really be the best I can be, that's kind of where I have to be. So, but with that said, um, you know, I'll just do whatever my heart tells me. Um, 
but it, it is, it's, it kind of gets old sometimes when it's 24 seven, you know, of, of running a business that is a horse industry business and also competing. Um, so, you know, but I loved it. Don't get me wrong. I loved it to death, but it was just 20 some years of it. And it's just time for a little bit of a change is all. So, um, you know, uh, there's ugly parts of our industry too. You know, sometimes you see mistreatment of horses and it's so much about the money. And, um, I found that if I stay in my lane, I'm a lot more peaceful and happy that way as well. So I think that's the key for me right now is just to have fun and let it all be about, you know, peace and positivity and then things are, are good. So, so for the topic today, um, I wanted to discuss, and this has been a tough one for people um, that are out there searching for horses. Um, if you look at my training book, um, training book, uh, TLC's uh, training notebook, page eight, choosing the right horse for you, chapter one, I'm going to talk about that today because it has really been a struggle for a lot of my clients to find a good horse. I've got clients looking at horses for $45,000 that aren't passing $2,000 PPEs. I've got clients that are looking at ten to 15000 that are finding these horses are not what they're being told they are. Or again, they can't pass the PPE as being sound enough to compete without a lot of maintenance or possibly more. Um, so, but there's a lot more to it than just that. Uh, first, um, when it comes down to choosing the horse, I think it's important that you write down a want list so you don't get sidetracked because a lot of times people just want to get it over with and will buy anything. But if that horse doesn't meet your list, remember the initial purchase of a horse isn't the most expensive thing. It's the, the keeping them. It's the everyday feeding them and maintaining them and, you know, the vet and the farrier and all of those things that cost you. So you want to get the horse that you think is going to fit what you need. So write it down, write down what you want, what level you want them to compete at or ride at the purpose of them, you know, age, sex, price range, um, you know, what mental, uh, and physical soundness do you want? Do you want a horse that is calm in the alleyway? Can you handle a horse that's a little bit more up? Do you want a free runner, a push horse, um, a, a point and go horse? Do you want something that can work cows and also trail ride too? Do you need a horse that's physically sound enough that you don't happen to inject them or keep them shod all the way around? Um, just put down all the criteria of your personal requirements down on a piece of paper and try to stick to those. And there's three things you absolutely should do when purchasing a horse. Um, if it's a young horse, a prospect, then just a pre-purchase exam, a PPE is important. But if it's a, um, and then I always buy insurance the first year I own them so that if anything goes wrong, you know, you're changing their diet, you're changing their environment, you're taking them to a new herd. If anything happens, they're insured and you can get covered diagnostics, surgery, or even worse, mortality. And it's worth it to have it. But the second thing is, if it's an already going and competing horse, really look for videos. Um, uh, look for the previous owners and background. Talk to everyone who's ever had their hands on that horse. Find out as much you can about them. Try them at the people's house. And then if it's something you really in your heart think is the right for you, try them at a barrel race. Because so many of my clients that have tried horses in a practice arena or at someone's house, um, and then they get them to a show under pressure and they're a completely different horse, end up really disappointed. So if you're not a tire kicker and you're truly 
honest and you're ready, you've got a cashier's check and you're ready to buy that horse based on, you know, how you two fit each other, the buyer should be open to that, um, to the pre-purchase exam of your vet, not their vet, of course, um, and also to you trying them at a small jackpot, um, to see if they fit because it would be a red flag. I mean, obviously they're not going to let everybody run their horse because, you know, there are a lot of people that will waste your time and tire kickers. And it's not good for the horse to have a bunch of different people on them competing on them. But if you are a serious buyer, um, it would be a red flag to me if they said no, no PPE or no, um, you can't try the horse at a show, especially if you're looking at a five figure horse. So, or more, um, the industry has gotten really crazy with the prices. So those are definitely things that, um, I would want to do, um, for sure. And then as far as, um, a horse, that's like, three to five years old, that's maybe green broke to ride, you're going to need to consider at least having one to two years of basic training, their basics, um, hauling them and, you know, exhibitioning them and teaching them the pattern away from home before, and then a year of competition before they're probably a true solid competitor. So, you know, you're looking at one year, two year, possibly three years of putting time into this horse. So, um, so those are all things to consider. And then um, what else? Um, if you are unable to do the training yourself, you have to consider what it would cost to have a trainer uh, train them. Also lessons, what that would cost. So all these may go into your budget price as well. Um, you know, you want the advantage of a, of, of a long life together um, and competing uh, at a good level. So you may want to spend more money on a purchase price if you're going to have to, um, you know, send them out to be trained, or you may want to do it yourself or work with a trainer of your choosing. So they're trained the way you like that done as well. The disadvantage to a young horse obviously is time, or if you lack patience and you want to compete right away, then you may be wanting to look at a finished, uh, 4D or 3D horse that you can learn on if you're just starting out yourself, maybe with potential to improve or um, at least potential to be resold if you're ready to move up to a 1D, 2D horse eventually. And you might want that horse between five and 10 years old, you know, but if you're really just starting out, there's nothing wrong with getting a horse older than 10 that can take care of you and give you confidence um, and then can be someone else's babysitter down the down the road, or you can just give them their forever retirement home as well. Um, if you fall in love with them, like I do and keep them forever. Um, the other thing is if you're competitive and you want that 1D, 2D horse, you're going to be looking for that horse with the it factor that meets all your needs. Um, that's going to be really important. The advantage of that is you can compete a ride away together, but there could be disadvantages if the horse has any holes in their training or in competition that need to be fixed or just the time that it's going to take for you to click. So you're again, going to need to be patient that not all teams come out winning 1D, 2D right off the bat sometimes it takes six months to a year to get with a new horse um so anyhow a 1d 2d or rodeo horse you can certainly go win on right now if you click with them but you're certainly going to pay more money for that horse especially if it's sound and rodeo ready if someone says they've got a 1d 2d horse and it's priced at like 10 grand there's something wrong with it either they're not really truly that level or there's some mental or physical issues um 
that you're going to have to look at as well. So be aware, you know, be aware of what the, you know, current market is and horse prices are really up right now. Um, and then again, as I mentioned, you do you want to push horse that you have to drive through the pattern? Um, you're going to probably want to be an aggressive rider for this type of horse. Um, if you like a free runner that hunts a barrel and rates a barrel, then, you know, you can be a little bit more of a, a calmer rider. You're going to probably want to be a little bit quieter rider, a quiet, confident rider. Um, you know, if you need a point and go horse to learn on, that's, that's a good thing to know too. It'd be a great confidence builder horse and really enjoyable horse that you can just work hard all week and then pull your horse out, you know, with some light exercise during the week and go compete on the weekends and have fun. One that's not going to require you to put a whole lot of five days a week into just to go enjoy on the weekend. So now mind you, I think 30 minutes, three days a week should be the minimum for all horses to compete on the weekend just so they're physically and mentally prepared. Um, but you also have to talk about the alleyway. You know, can you handle a horse a little bit fire? Are you calm enough and confident for that horse? Or do you need a horse that's quiet in the alleyway? Um, you've got to be really honest with yourself about your own ability of riding at certain speeds and levels and pick a horse that fits you. Don't seek a 1D pro level horse if you have balance or confidence issues. Um, don't blame the horse. If you if this horse worked good for someone else and doesn't for you, you might be the one that needs to be in the training barn five days a week, not your horse. You know, you may need lessons five days a week instead of your horse. Um but yeah, for the rider who is consistently winning on the same horse or at the same level for years, you might feel ready to move up to the next horse and you may sell your good horse, but I can tell you it's not easy to find another horse. So for me, I always liked having two horses going. So if one was lame, I always had another one to ride and barrel horses are always going to need time off, even if it's for an abscess or a sprained ankle or whatever, there's going to just be time where they're going to need downtime. So it's nice to have a second horse. Um, and it's not easy to find horses. Like I said, it takes time. I've got clients have been looking for months and wasted a lot of money on PPEs and stuff because this, let's be honest, um, not everybody tells you everything. And, and I tell my people guilty until proven innocent because they're trying to sell you something and not everybody's honest. So you have to go in it. They, even if they're not totally not telling you the horse's history, you need to research it yourself and uh, reach out. You can hunt them on YouTube and search their name under Google registered name. There's Equistat. You know, you can see what, you know, if the horse always hit barrels or, you know, if they always place in the 40 and they're trying to sell it as a 2D horse or whatever, um, there is ways to research it. So um, again, you need to know what you can handle. Can you handle a sensitive horse, a high strung horse? Do, do laid back or lazy horses not work for you? Can you handle a, a strong horse or a quirky horse? Um, you know, if a horse is super smart, can you mix it up for them and keep them happy. Um, you know, there's horses that are all different styles out there. Stiff, front endy, roll back, four wheel drive, bendy. Um, you know, but should you choose certain bloodlines? You know, if I was looking at for a prospect, I'm going to look for bloodlines. I'm going to look for bloodlines that are winning in our industry. And there are many of those, but there are certain ones that definitely dominate our industry year after year. So if I'm looking at a prospect, I'm certainly going to look at bloodlines and confirmation. I want to start out with a good chance that this horse is going to win and be able to stay sound. But 
if I'm looking at an older horse, I'm going to look more at their records. You know, I don't care if they're registered or not, as long as they have a proven uh, competition record. Um, you know, and then of course you do want something that has good feet, no hoof, no horse, you know, you want a balanced body overall and pretty good legs on them, a good mind. But to me, heart and mind are the most important things. A horse has to want to do it. Um, they have to have the mind for it. Um, those are really important things. Um, and then of course, you know, certain things you might just like a kind eye. Um, there's just things that people look for, but I will tell you this, I've seen champions from 14 hands to 16 hands, skinny, wide, you know, all different body styles, all different heights and many different bloodlines. So, you know, um, I think when you're looking, you just, you need to say, you know, if it's a gut feeling for you, this horse feels right, then that's important. Um, but don't get emotionally attached to them till you heard what the vet has to say, because if a horse physically can't do the job, you know, you're just going to be upset or wasting money. So, um, like I said, um, it's, it's important to have athletic ability and quick speed, and it's nice to have a horse that's fluid, but collected in the turns, but they really have to have that want to attitude. So that, that heart and that mind is probably so important. Um, but again, just get that pre-purchase exam. Um, check into medical insurance. Sometimes there are policies for like 500 bucks for a year that can cover up to $7,500 in medical evaluations, treatments, and mortality. Um, you should also try the horse, like I mentioned, in a real environment, not just their backyard. So I hope that's helpful. And thank you guys for tuning in for this week's Q&A. And remember, a positive mindset brings positive things in your life. So, um, Trust your preparation, trust your training, focus on your job so they can do their job and um, go out there and have a great time. Enjoy your horses. And Philippians 2.4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So what that means to me is to be kind and do something kind for others. So God bless y'all and ride with heart. Thank you.